Uh, good day and welcome again to our Bible study. We're going to continue on in the book of Matthew in chapter 22. Today we'll be covering verses 23 through 33. If you remember last week, we had two, well, one religious group, the Pharisees, had teamed up with the Herodians. And we had said the Herodians were Jews who worked for the Roman government. So they were considered traitors, so to speak, with the Jewish people. So the Jewish people really didn't respect them and really didn't honor them, right? Now, the Pharisees didn't like the Herodians because the Herodians, like I said, worked for the Roman government and they believed in the tax. And if you remember, last week's lesson was about the denarius that they gave Jesus and about the tax that Rome had posed on the Jewish people to have an invading army in their uh, in their country, right? And the Jews hated it. Well, we seen last week they tried to entrap Jesus, but Jesus turned the tables on them. And Jesus says, when they give him the coin, Jesus says, "Who is this?" And they say, "It's Caesar." And Jesus says, "Give to Caesar, and what is Caesar but give to God? What is God?" Right? And they were amazed and they walked off. But what we're going to see in today's lesson is another group of religious leaders called the Sadducees. Now, the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, we said this last week also, was that the Pharisees and the Sadducees both knew the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible, the Torah, the first five books in our Old Testament, right? That was written by Moses. They knew that. They knew the law of Moses. They were spiritual leaders for the nation of Israel. But the only difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees is that the Pharisees also studied the prophets, right? They knew about the coming of the Messiah. The Sadducees, they just study the Torah, the old Tanakh, the Hebrew, the Hebrew Bible. So they really, they really didn't understand the resurrection. So they didn't believe in the resurrection because in their opinion, the Pharisees had never stressed to them where they can find that in the old Hebrew Bible about the resurrection. So they're going to come to Jesus, to, you know, in today's lesson. With the Pharisees and the Herodians failed, they walk up to Jesus and they're going to try to entrap him with a question. And that question has to do with the resurrection. And we know when we speak about resurrection, we speak about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, correct? So what we're going to see today is that the Pharisees are going to try to do what the Pharisees and the Herodians did in last week's lesson and entrap Jesus. But just like last week, we're going to find out that Jesus, right, points to them in the, in the Tanakh, in the old Hebrew Bible. A scripture that deals with the resurrection, so to speak. So they have nothing to say. So like last week, Jesus is going to have the final word and the final say because Jesus is always right, correct? So with that being said, open up your Bibles to Matthew 22. And look at the first verse, verse 23. It says this, that on that same day, the Sadducees, who said they have no resurrection, they came to him, him meaning Jesus, with a question. So that same day, so what we see here is it shows persistency, right? They were persistent. In other words, they were committed. They didn't give up. They wanted, they wanted to shame Jesus in public. Why? Because they wanted him beaten. They wanted him arrested. And ultimately, they wanted him killed, 
right? So we talk about the Sadducees here, and I just mentioned that. It's a, it's a different group of religious leaders who did not believe in the resurrection and the kingdom of God. Because remember, when you talk about resurrection, you also talk about kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. So these two go hand in hand, right? So what we see here, what's going on is the Pharisees and the Herodians fail to entrap Jesus. So the Sadducees step in and they join in in the conversation. Now, again, they didn't believe in the resurrection because in the old Hebrew Bible, right, the Tanakh, the Torah, as we know it, the book of Genesis through Deuteronomy, they had no direct teaching on this. The Pharisees had never been able to come up with a convincing argument about the resurrections for the Sadducees. So the Sadducees, in their mind, they're thinking, man, we got Jesus trapped here with a question that we're going to ask him, right? But Jesus is about to show them like he did earlier to the Pharisees and Herodians, that they really don't know the scripture. They might know it, they might teach it, but they really don't understand how to interpret scripture. So verse 24 says this, teacher, they said. Now notice what they said, they call him rabbi, they call him teacher, sort of like they're respecting him, but in reality, they didn't respect Jesus, they hated Jesus, right? So there's sort of a little flattery here. And remember what we said about flattery. Flattery is a trap. When people try to use flattery on you, what they're trying to do, they're trying to get you to do something that they want, right? And right away, your guard should go up when you see this. So they come to him and they say, teacher, Moses told us that if a man dies without having his children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up the offspring for him. Now, Let's talk about Moses, because they bring up Moses right here. And Moses is very, very important in the Bible, especially in the Torah, in the old Hebrew Bible, the Tanakh, right? Moses, we know, was the leader of the Israelites when he led them out of Egypt, right? We can say that Moses symbolizes Jesus sort of in the Old Testament, just like Joseph did pretty much in the Old Testament, right? Why? Because he saves his people from Egypt and Egypt was considered the world he saves them from slavery he saves them from oppression right just like Jesus saves us right he forgives us of our sins he saves us from our oppression right he saves us from hell really it's up to us whether or not we accept Jesus into our heart that we know he's the Messiah he we know that he's the Lord and the Savior right so we see that Moses was an ordinary man with an extraordinary story right his life demonstrates both the physical or personal journey, right, from a soul, from death to eternal salvation, to God's epic plan to redeem his creation, his chosen people, the Israelites, right? In many ways, Moses foretells the coming of Jesus Christ, right? Moses authored the first five books of the Bible, and his life can be found from Exodus through Deuteronomy. And Moses lived for 120 years, right? So if we take those 120 years, we can divide or talk about three different stages of Moses' life. And that's what I want to do right now. I want to take a few minutes and go through Moses' life because Moses is an important person in the Bible. So his first 40 years, birth through age of 40. Let's start off with Joseph, right? After Joseph, right, remember Joseph was thrown in, in, into the pit. He was sold, sold into slavery. He ends up being the second in command under Pharaoh in Egypt. 
Egypt at that time was pretty much controlling the world, right? And we know that a great famine takes place, and because of Joseph, because of, of his intuition with God, God showed him what would be happening, right? Sort of prophesizing. And he tells Pharaoh that a famine's coming. So they saved up, you know, grain for that 7 to 14-year period where things would be bad. But be, So Joseph really saved Egypt. But you remember his brothers, even though Solomon is slavery, goes back to Egypt to get grain, to get food, right? And Joseph, he didn't take it out on his brothers. He forgave his brothers because Joseph understood that God had a calling and a plan for his life, just like God has a calling and a plan on each and every one of our lives. But it's a matter of whether or not we're going to be obedient like Joseph. It's a matter of whether or not we're willing to accept the will of God and maybe go through some trials and tribulations along the way, just like Joseph did, to get to that promised land, to get to that destination where God wants us to be like he did with Joseph. But Joseph, Pharaoh loved Joseph. And after all this famine took place and his brothers came for, for food and so forth, what Joseph did was Joseph asked Pharaoh, he said, can I move my family here? And Pharaoh gave him a, a, a plot of land, right, for the Israelites to live. And over time, what happened was the Israelites started populating. And there were getting to be more Israelites, more Hebrews, right, than Egyptians. Joseph dies, and generation after generation continues. But the problem was, Pharaoh that was in charge when Joseph was there was no longer in charge. He had died, right? And the Pharaohs after him was not kind to the Israelites like they were back in Joseph's time, right? They took them as slaves. Why? Because they were overpopulating, so to speak. And we even know in the book of Exodus, where one of the midwives, the Hebrew midwives, the Pharaoh tells them, when a Hebrew woman goes to have a baby, right? The midwives are sort of like a, a nurse slash nanny of what we would know today, right? Pharaoh tells them if when they give birth, when you're delivering birth to them, he says, if they have a boy, then kill it. But if they have a girl, let it live. And we know that in Exodus, right, 1.12, we know that the two midwives that were there at this point in time that was delivering a baby, when they had the boy, they didn't listen to what Pharaoh said because the Bible says that they fear God, right? We used that example last week. Give to Caesar what is Caesar. Right. Meaning you can tax Jesus saying you can tax. He can tax you. That's all right. But also give to God what is God. Right. In other words, when man's command comes in conflict, conflict with God's command, then what we do, we always choose and obey God's way, God's command. And that's what these midwives did. Right. And they let Hebrew boys live. Well, Moses was born during this time. And Moses' mother kept him as long as possible, but when he becomes three months old, what happens? She can no longer hide him, right? And she was afraid for his life, so she put Moses in a basket in the reeds by the riverbank, hoping that he would be found safely by someone. But you see, Moses' sister, Miriam, she stood in a distance and she followed and she watched who would pick up little baby Moses. And Pharaoh's daughter, she came to the river to bathe, and she saw the basket, right? 
And she tells one of her servants, girls, go pick it up. And when she picked it up, they brought the basket to, to Pharaoh's daughter. She discovered baby Moses, right? And she knew that he was a Hebrew boy, but she took pity on him. That's what it says in Exodus 2, 6, right? See, Miriam still was close by watching. And as Pharaoh's daughter sees that as baby Moses and she falls in love with baby Moses, right? She knows and, and Miriam knows that Pharaoh's daughter is going to need someone like a, a midwife, so to speak, right? A nanny, so to speak, to tend to Moses as he's growing up. So Miriam pops out and Miriam convinces Pharaoh's daughter that she knows the right person for it. And she tells her about her mom. But although she doesn't specifically say that's our mom. She just says, I know a Hebrew woman that would be good. Pharaoh's daughter goes to Pharaoh. Pharaoh ends up letting her keep Moses. And this is how God works, right? God selected Moses' mom to actually raise him, right? Until he was older enough to live in the palace. So we know that Moses grew up with his real mom. But as he gets more independent, he goes off to live in the palace with Pharaoh and Pharaoh's daughter. So we see that Moses, although he was a Jew, although he was a Hebrew, right? He enjoyed the wealth and privileges and positions of the Egyptians. But you see, as Moses grew older, he became more and more sympathetic towards his people, the Hebrews. He recognized that the Egyptians were treating the Hebrews very, very wrong, very, very cruel, right? But he didn't know how to respond. But one day he's out in the field and he's supervising and he sees this Egyptian beating this Hebrew severely. And that, that compassion and that mercy, right, for his people, the Hebrew people, overtook him. And the flesh came out in him, meaning he seen what was happening and he got angry. And that anger fueled where he struck this Egyptian and killed this Egyptian. Well, now Moses realized what he did and Mo Moses flees, right? That brings us to the second stage of his life at 40 years old. So this all happened at 40. So yes, Moses did kill a man and God used Moses, right? See, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. That's what God does. And God wants to use us today, he wants to use you and me. He wants to use us to fulfill his plan and his will that he has for our life, right? Doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter what, you, what you've done before, right? If you're willing to obey God, accept God, repent of your sins, right? Then God can use you just like he did Moses, just like he did Joseph, just like he did King David, right? So going back to the story of Moses, Moses flees Egypt and he enters a land of Midian. And he witnessed there some shepherds that were preventing young women from watering their flocks. So what Moses did, Moses stood up for those women shepherds, right? And he watered the women's livestock. And the women were seven sisters. And what they did, they brought Moses back to meet their father, whose name was Jethro. And Jethro took Moses under his wing, so to speak, right? And he taught him how to form. He taught him how to be a shepherd. He taught him how to provide, right? And Moses later on ended up giving him one of his daughters and they get married. And under Jethro's mentorship, you can say Moses embraced the life of a shepherd and the life of a family man. Right. 
He lived completely opposite from his glorious life in the palace. He learned hard work. He learned how to tend to flocks. He learned how to tend to his family and provide for his family. See, although Moses had not forgotten the Hebrews, he believed that it was out of his hands. And he moved or he tried to move forward with his new life. But you see, God, however, wasn't finished with Moses. God had other plans. And one day while Moses was tending to his flock, tending to sheep, he stumbled upon a burning bush. And he heard God's voice speak from that bush and said, Moses, take off your sandals. You're on the holy ground, right? And he also ends up going on telling Moses in, Genesis, in, in Exodus 3, verses 9 and 10, Exodus 3, 9 and 10, he says this, And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, and you may bring my people and the children of Israel out of Egypt. So at this time, Moses is 80 years old. And Moses being 80 years old is very different from Moses being 40 years old or 30 years old, much younger, right? He was reluctant right now. He was timid, right? He lacked confidence because he had stuttering issue, right? He lacked confidence to go to Egypt, to go in front of Pharaoh, but he knew God was calling him to do this. He used every excuse in the book to God, right? Finally, God says, Moses, I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to give you the power, but I'll even do this even further. I'll get your brother Aaron to go be a spokesperson for you, right? And that's exactly what they did, which brings us to the third part of Moses' life when he's 80 to 120 years old. See, with God by his side, Moses decided to return back to Egypt with his family, right? And on the way to Egypt, God told Aaron to meet Moses, and they met in the wilderness. And when the brothers met, Moses told Aaron of God's desire and plan to free the Hebrews. And together, Moses and Aaron, they first went to the elders of the Israelites, right? In other words, they wanted to tell them what God had said. But on their way there, Moses is worried because they, you know, Moses is saying, I'm just this ordinary guy, but yet I can't speak. And what if they ask, who sent you, God? What do I tell them? And God said, tell them, I am sent you. Now, I am was only quoted in the Tanakh in the Hebrew Bible. I am, they knew that was God. God's name is called I am, right? So when they go in front of the elders, that's exactly what they ask. Who sent you? And Moses said, I am sent you, right? And they agreed that Moses and Aaron should go in front of the Pharaoh and ask Pharaoh to allow the Israelites to leave the wilderness for several days to go out and worship God. Because you see, in Egypt, I'm sorry, I said Israel, in Egypt, Egypt at that time was tending to idolatry. The Egyptians, they worship over 20-something gods, right? And, and, and the Israelites, they knew about God, the one and true living God, the I Am, Right? And the elders are saying, go to Pharaoh and have, ask him if we can leave for several days and we'll come back to do our job because they were slaves at the time. So Moses and, and Aaron goes to Pharaoh and Pharaoh says no. Pharaoh denies he doesn't let them leave. So what does God do? God sends ten plagues, one plague after another. And finally on the last plague, Mo, Moses is trying to <clears throat> go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, Pharaoh, just, 
Just let us go out and we're going to come back. Because if not, then God's going to pass destruction on you, right? But Pharaoh is always stubborn, always prideful, always hard-headed, so to speak. Wouldn't let him go. Finally, on the 10th plague, God tells Moses, tell all the Israelites to kill a lamb. And he gave them specific instructions. It had to be a certain age. It had to be a certain weight and so forth, right? Then he said, take the blood and sprinkle it along the doorpost of each house. That way, when the angel of death passes, he sees the blood of the lamb and you're saved, right? You're going to be redeemed, so to speak. See, that's pointing towards Jesus and the cross. That was the first Passover that took place, right? So the next morning, when the angel of death passed at night, the next morning, what happens? All the firstborn throughout the nation of Egypt was dead, except if you had the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. Pharaoh finally decides to let him go, and they let him go. Several days after he decides to let him go, they out in the wilderness, Pharaoh decides to change his mind and he sends his army after Moses and the Israelites. Now understand, the Israelites had anywhere between one and two million people at this time, right? The exodus from Egypt, right? And they go to the Red Sea. And we all know the story about the Red Sea, right? They trapped. And Moses raises up his staff. The Red Sea's parted. They get to the other side. They drown the, the Egyptians and so forth. And now they're on their way through the wilderness for the next 40 years, right? And it was on their journey for 40 years in the wilderness. Why? Because they disobeyed God. They didn't trust God. They didn't believe in God. They questioned God. They murmured. They complained, right? You ever murmur and you ever complain about stuff? If you do, then you just like the Israelites did in the desert. See, Jesus gave them manna. He gave them quail in the evening. But it got tired for them. It wasn't enough for them, right? They wanted more. You see, in life, sometimes you want more. Sometimes God gives you and provides for you, but it's not enough for you, you say, right? That's what you say. And you murmur and you complain. And maybe you get frustrated and mad. Well, if you do that, then you're just like these Israelites. Because these Israelites, that's what they did. And because they complained and because they were negative, because they looked at the glass half empty instead of half full, what happens? God... Makes them roam around in the desert until all of the first generation of Israelites that left Egypt died with the exception of two, right? And that was Joshua and Caleb. But you see, Moses, they, they was, when things went well for them, they loved God. And that's sort of what we do today. When things go well for us, we love God, man. We, we all about Jesus then. But when we have struggles a little bit, right, and difficulty, we question sometimes, right? And that's what the Israelites did in 40 years in the wilderness. They go to Mount Sinai, right? Moses goes up to meet God and gives them the commandments, right? He gives them the tablets. Right? When Moses comes back down, they think Moses is gone. They think Moses is dead because Moses was up there for, you know, for weeks. Then what happens? Moses comes down and God says, Moses, you got to go back down because they're worshiping the golden calf. They took all the jewelry that they had together, they melted it, and they made a golden calf and started worshiping the golden calf, right? Because that's what they seen in Egypt. For 400 years, they were slaves, right? And generation after generation, that's all they knew, right? But you see, it was at Mount Sinai that God made a covenant with his people, the new nation of Israel, right? And this is referred to as the Mosaic Covenant, right? But we know that Moses climbed the mountain, God gave him the law, 
He gave him instructions how to build the tabernacle. He gave him the, you know, the, the commandments and so to speak. But yet he still made him roam until all of them died except Joshua and Caleb. Why? Because Joshua and Caleb were faithful to God. Right? When, when Moses sent out the 12 tribes to spy the land of the Philistines, what happened? Ten reports came back negative. We can't take the land, Moses. They're too big. We look like grasshoppers. There's no way. They're going to kill us. They're going to destroy us. But what did Moses, what did uh, Joshua and Caleb say? We can take that land, Moses, because God's on our side. And with God on our side, anything and everything is possible. We can defeat them because God fights our battles, right? What are you thinking today when you go through situations that seem like an army is against you? That seem like you are a grasshopper to your problems today. Do you think like the other 10, it's impossible to get out of? It's impossible, it's never going to get better? Or do you think positive like Joshua and Caleb? Do you believe and have faith that God is going to get you through whatever situation you're going through, whatever army you're fighting today, whatever the enemy throws at you, that it doesn't matter because God has you in the palm of his hand. And when God fights your battle, right, and you at peace with God, that's why it's important every day to pray, to read scripture, to have a relationship with Jesus, to hear his small voice directing your steps and telling you what to do. Because when, when you do that, you're allowing the spirit to take over. Now you're going to do the will of God. So no matter what life throws at you, no matter what army comes against you, no matter what the devil throws at you, you know that God is in control and God's going to fight your battles. And when God fights your battles and you turn everything over to him, meaning you have true faith and you believe and you trust him, no matter what happens, you might not like it, but when you trust him what God has in store for you, then you always come out victorious. You always come out a winner. You always come out on top. But are you willing to submit to that, being faithful, being righteous, being truthful to the word of God, right? That's true faith. That's what Joshua and Caleb had. That's why, Mo, that's why he, God told Moses, all the people in this generation, the first generation, you're not going to see the promise. Moses didn't even see the promised land. Because God brought Moses up to Mount Nebo. They climbed the mountain, the Bible says, and God showed him the promised land. But then the Bible says that God took Moses. Moses somewhere is buried on Mount Nebo, supposedly. But the problem is nobody can find out where. And there's no evidence of it, right? And there's a lot of scholars believe that Moses, just like Elijah, was raptured up, that God raptured up. Now, Moses is seen again, and we talk about Moses in the transfiguration, right, with Jesus. With Jesus and Elijah, and Moses is present with Jesus, right? And the three disciples see them. But you see it towards, if you read the book of Revelation, which we did, and we studied the book of Revelation so we know this, there's two witnesses at the end times that come and they try to spread the word of God in the seven-year tribulation period. These two witnesses. Now, the Bible never, named, never mentions them, but a lot of scholars believe these two witnesses are Elijah and Moses, right? So we see that Moses, right, although he was obedient to God, he didn't see the promised land. And you might say, why? Why did God not get him into the promised land? He just let him look at it, but he never stepped foot in it. And the reason is, is because Moses, anytime the Israelites needed to drink, God would, Moses would speak to God and God would tell him, 
go to this location and strike this rock. And Moses would strike the rock and fresh water would come out. But one time, the Israelites were murmuring, they were complaining, right? Just like they always did. And Moses, the flesh in Moses got the best of them. So he wasn't thinking right. And that's what happens to us, right? When somebody's aggravating us or somebody is, 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 continues to be negative, right? They're persistent, but they're negative. Sometimes the flesh gets the best in us and we're not thinking right, right? Instead of relying on God and listening to God, we just go ahead and the flesh takes over and we do our own thing. And that's what happened with Moses. Because Moses, so many times, God had told him, strike the rock. But this time, God told Moses, speak to the rock. In other words, the message for us there was, we need to talk to God in times of trouble, in times of...